Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm apologetic today because I'm getting over a cold that I caught from my granddaughter. At least I'm blaming her for it. And I'm almost better, but I still have a little difficulty here. So if I call for a sneeze or kill over, then you'll know what it is. You have a lovely campus here. Now, I know the people are wonderful. I've known your pastor and his wife for a number of years and just love them dearly. And then I met many of you. <clears throat> and, um, but this campus is so nice, this church. If I lived uh, here, this is where I'd go to church. And, um, and I've just enjoyed it. Now, I came in last night. It was dark, so I couldn't see how lovely it was on the outside. And then when I drove in today, I was surprised at all of these wind things around me. And I thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful. It's been a long time since I preached while surrounded by so many fans. <laughs> so I'm just very pleased to be here. There are some books in the gymnasium that will um, be available after the service for a few minutes. And so please go by and look. They are all discounted. And it's something maybe you could give for Christmas. There are a couple of books that I have, which I didn't have any supply to bring with me, but they're available from your book distributor online. And one is what we just sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. This is a book of 52 Bible verses about the faithfulness of God. And it's done beautifully because it's done in the form of a gift book with a ribbon. And so this is a lovely gift. I wish that I'd had some to bring up here, but we had run out of them. And also, this book has been around for 20 years, The Red Sea Rules. And many churches have used this for small group studies. And you may want to check those out as well. Now, this is the uh, concluding day of our of your, of our missions emphasis, although that emphasis never diminishes because the mission of the church is missions. And I've been going through the book of Acts with my podcast. Now, I used to preach every Sunday at my church. I did that for nearly 40 years, and my wife became disabled, and I had to step away from that role. So I preached there once a month. But on the other Sundays, you know, I try to get somebody to invite me like this. And, uh, but I have a podcast now so that I can do weekly Bible teaching again. And I'd love for you to subscribe to it. It's the Robert J. Morgan podcast. But I've been going through the book of Acts. And I noticed something that I really had never quite seen as clearly before, that as you are reading through the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters are all about Peter, Simon Peter, and his ministry and those who operated under his authority and under his auspices, and just one exciting story after the other. And then Peter, in chapter 12, is released from prison, and the angel gets him out. And then Luke wrote, Peter left to go to another place. We have no idea where that other place was, but Peter is gone from the book of Acts. Luke just writes him out of the story. And except for one cameo appearance in chapter 15, 
We don't see Peter anymore. He has served his purpose in terms of the writing of the story of the early church. And in chapter 13, Paul becomes the key figure through the end of the book. So in chapter 13, just turn over there and I'll show you how this unfolds. Paul's story is told in a series of three missionary trips that he took. And then the final segment of Acts is about his imprisonment. So his first missionary tour is in Acts 13 and 14. He and Barnabas go to Cyprus and up to Galatia, and they come back at the end of chapter 14 to Antioch, where they had left from. Chapter 15 is about the Jerusalem conference, and at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have a painful disagreement, and they go different directions, and Paul chooses Silas and begins his second missionary tour, and it seems like everything goes wrong with that second missionary tour. It begins with this heartache and division that he and, Paul, that he and uh, Barnabas couldn't agree about something, and then they go into Asia Minor, but they, aren't, they just can't get a grasp on where they should go, and then Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia, and he takes it from that vision that he should go over to Europe. And so they sail over to northern Greece to Macedonia, go to the city of Philippi, where such a riot is caused that Paul and Silas are taken to the town square in front of everybody and stripped and beaten and beaten with such rigor it says they were severely flogged and the blood flowed. And later it talks about how the jailer tended to their wounds. But I can't imagine anything quite as traumatic as what happened to Paul there. And then he was escorted out of Philippi. And in chapter 17, he goes to Thessalonica and he is run out of town there. He goes to Berea. He is run out of town there. He leaves Luke and Silas and Timothy and some of these churches to try to make sense of what is happening with the fledgling congregations he has started, and he ends up in Athens alone. Well, there he is burdened by the city, and he preaches a sermon on Mars Hill, but he doesn't get a great deal of traction. Not too many people really, they ridiculed him there. And then he went on by himself about 50 miles to the great city of Corinth. Now, Athens was old and small and just a shadow of what it once had been. But Corinth was a major city. It was all new. It had all been built in the last 100 years, gleaming marble and granite everywhere, and a vast city of 200,000 people and another half million slaves and Paul went into that city, not knowing anyone, still suffering from his wounds across his back and his body, having been thrown out of everywhere that he had been and without any money. And he later said that when he came into Corinth, he came in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, we think of Paul as a superhero, but he was a very high-strung, normal person 
who battled anxieties and everything else. And I think by the time he got to Corinth, he was not in very good shape. Now, sometimes we just realize that we've allowed ourselves, somehow we're just not in good shape. We look in the mirror and we say, I am not very well, spiritually or emotionally or physically. Something, I just, I need some rehabbing here. And I think Paul was like that. But do you know that the Lord had prearranged for a Christian couple to be in that city of non-Christians? They had been thrown out of Rome because they were Jews, and they, had, and they were tent makers, leather workers. And so they had gotten there ahead of Paul. I don't think that he knew them, but as he went around trying to get some work, I mean, the Apostle Paul was going from shop to shop trying to get somebody to hire him because he didn't have enough money for food. And he met Priscilla and Aquila and discovered they were Christians and they were tent makers, which was his occupation, his trade that he had learned. And they hired him and took him in and took care of him. And how wonderful it is that the Lord knows what we need and prepares ahead so that when we get at those points in life when we just are not very well, the Lord knows how to care for us. And so let's begin reading here in chapter 18, verse 1. So after Athens, or after the things that happened in chapter 17, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because they were a tent maker, as he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So again, he didn't have any funds, and so he had to work Sunday through Friday, and I just try to envision that. I mean, sometimes we have to read the Bible with a little imagination. So here you have this great city of Corinth, and usually professions were in different zones of the city. So there was a quarter of the city or a little section where there were tent makers and leather crafters, and tents were very useful, very needed in that area because they had the Isthmian Games and the not too far away, the Olympic Games, and people were coming all over the world in order to see these games, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people, and they needed little, just like we have today, little shelters to sit under and to have tailgate parties and to have their food and to be protected from the sun. And so people would come and they wanted to buy these tents. And can you imagine, here comes somebody, let's say from Italy, They've come in order to go to these games. They had their family. They didn't want to bring everything. They could buy a little tent there. And so they came into the shop and the bell rang and the apostle Paul would stop what he was doing and go to wait on them. And they would say, we need a tent. We're going to the games and we just need some shelter. And he said, well, we've got several different sizes here. And look at how well this is made. And I made that one. And Aquila, this couple over here, they're very good. They made that one. And this is made out of this particular kind of leather, and it's waterproof. And look at the stakes that we have. And then he would, they would say, well, we'll give you so much for it. And 
Paul said, well, it's really priced at this, and they would have to haggle, and finally they would get to a price, and Paul would look over, and Aquila would nod his head, and they didn't know that they had just done a transaction with the most famous Christian evangelist who would ever live. But this is what Paul did six days a week. And then on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, Saturday, they would go to the synagogue and Paul would try to evangelize. Now it says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself, he devoted himself exclusively to preaching. And this is because they had come from Philippi. And the Philippian church was very generous. They, they would send Paul money. And the whole area of Macedonia, uh, the churches there were not very wealthy, but they were, they were big into supporting their missionaries, the way this church is. So they sent Paul money by Silas and Timothy. And when Paul got enough money to take care of his needs, then he said, now I can devote myself full time to evangelizing. But there was tension. There was difficulty, especially in the Jewish quarter where Paul had been evangelizing. So it says in verse 6, but, they, uh, but when they opposed, that is when the Jewish quarter opposed Paul's teaching and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here again, he was rejected. There was a great deal of frustration. You can see the, uh, some anger in his voice here. And it says in verse 7, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And so we had some Jews, including the pastor of the local synagogue that had just rejected Paul, that pastor, the Lord opened his eyes. He and his family were saved. So you have Aquila and Priscilla. You have Paul, Luke, and Silas, and Timothy are there now. You've got the synagogue leader who became a Christian. You have others who are baptized, and we have the beginnings of a church. But I think Paul was still battling the stress of it all. You know, stress and anxiety, it doesn't leave very easily when it gets a hold of us. And so the Lord made a house call, and he made a special visit to give the Apostle Paul a word that I want to share with you now, and it's in verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Now, when you see the word, the Lord, in the New Testament, it typically is referring to Jesus. So, I think that's true here. The Lord Jesus spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Now, what those words meant to Paul is beyond what I can describe. But have you ever had a time in your life when you were distressed or upset or hurt or grief-stricken 
or disappointed and burdened. And the Lord Jesus just comes down and he ministers to you. He very often does it in his word. The times in which he speaks the most vividly to us is very often just when we need something in our hearts to help us. There have been times when I've been so low, I didn't know if I could go on. And just at that moment, some verse in the Bible, I would turn to it or I'd come to it in my reading or it would come to my mind and my soul would be restored and strengthened and revived again. This is why we've got to keep this book open around us all the time. Don't close your Bible. Just leave it open so you can look at it. You can read it every single day because the Lord speaks to us in all of these occasions we sing about, springtime and harvest, soon sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature, telling us what we need to hear. The Lord speaks to us in our distress. Now, he told Paul five things here, and every one of them was important for Paul. The first one was, do not be afraid. And we would imply from that that Paul was afraid. I mean, he was dealing with some fears here. He did not want to provoke another riot in this city. He had been through enough of those riots. In Philippi, there had been a riot, and it had resulted in his whipping. In these other cities, there had been riots, and it had resulted in his being thrown out. Earlier, there had been a riot, and he'd been stoned and left for dead, and he was just tired of this. But the Lord said, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid in this city. Just fear not. And, you know, for all of us who deal with anxiety, I know a lot of children and young people deal with anxiety, a lot of social anxiety, a lot of school anxiety. For all of us who are getting up in life, we never end when it comes to things that we can worry about. But the Lord keeps coming back to us over and over again and saying, don't be afraid. That phrase, fear not or don't be afraid, occurs 74 times in the Bible. Just those words. Now, there are a lot of other similar phrases, don't be dismayed. There are three passages that are so major on this subject that I've memorized them because I'm, you know, the kind of person that easily has panic attacks and gets anxious. But in Psalm 37, Psalm 37, David wrote, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like the grass. Do not fret because it only causes harm. Do not fret. Feed on the Lord's faithfulness. Dwell in the land. Delight yourself in the Lord. Just do not fret. It's such a wonderful, that first paragraph of Psalm 37. And then Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about your lives, what you will eat or drink, or about your bodies, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than raiment? Why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Consider the lilies of the field. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are much more valuable than they are. Why would any of you Worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and the Lord will take care of everything concerning you. And then in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I keep going back to Psalm 37 and Matthew 6 and Philippians 4 over and over again. You can never wear those passages out. You just keep going back to them and to all of the others. Isaiah 41 verse 6 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will support thee, sustain thee with my righteous right hand. The Lord said to Abraham, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. The Lord said to the Israelites at the Red Sea, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the salvation the Lord is bringing your way this day. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what are you afraid of? What anxieties or worries or fears are there? You can go to the Bible and you can find 74 times and many more when the Lord just gives you a word for that affliction that the devil is trying to use to tear down your life and he cannot withstand the quoting of God's word. So the Lord said to Paul, do not be afraid. Secondly, Keep on speaking and do not be silent. In other words, you keep preaching the gospel in the Jewish quarter, in the Armenian quarter, in the Latin quarter, all over the city. Don't be afraid. Just keep sharing the gospel. And that is what we do in so many ways when you support missionaries. The Lord takes that dollar and transmutes it eventually in his own time and way into human souls who will be in heaven. It's amazing how he does that. So we give a gift to some missions organization or to some missionary, and it is the funding they need to do what Paul was doing in Corinth, and we may never hear about the end result of it until we get to heaven, but in the course of the taking of the gospel to the nations and to the streets and cities of our world, people come to Christ. They are transformed and will live forever, and one day in heaven, someone will come up to you and say, did you support that missionary? Did you provide that Gideon Bible? Did you send that literature? Well, thank you because I'm here because of it. We it's amazing how that happens. And then we also are just actively involved in our local church ministries. And then there are times when we speak up and we say, let me tell you what Christ has done for me. And we need to all know how to actively share the gospel. Now, you don't have to do it well. You just have to do it. And the Lord has a way of using 
a verse of Scripture that you may share with someone immediately or more likely later on in a life-transforming way to them. I was a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, I think it was a couple of years ago, I went through O'Hare Airport and my flight was canceled and I was put on another flight and there was a delay and I wanted to get a salad so I went to the restaurant at the airport and I left my billfold at the restaurant. And I took my salad and they put me on another plane and I got my seat. I didn't know that I'd left my billfold, but I got my window seat. And then we were delayed a little bit because there was another group coming on that had missed their flight. And so, it, and it ended up to be a lot of white suits coming on and they were young sailors. And one of them sat down beside me and I said, how are you? And he said, I'm exhausted. He said, we've just finished basic training yesterday and I'm, being, I'm going to my first assignment and we missed our plane and we had to rush here. And I said, well, I missed my plane too. And about that time as we were taking off, I realized I couldn't find my billfold anywhere. And all of my anxiety hormones just began producing so much adrenaline. And I, I said, I can't find my billfold. Will you hold things while I take out everything from my backpack? And so I started loading things up on this sailor in the middle seat. And he was very kind and held them all, but I couldn't find my billfold. And so I packed everything back up and I just looked out the window and I thought, dear Lord, what am I going to do? And the Lord seemed to whisper and nudge me, and he said, you should witness to that sailor. And I said, Lord, I don't feel like it. I've lost my billfold. I'm worried. I'm distracted. And then I looked over, and he was asleep, and I said, besides, he's fallen asleep. And the Lord said, you should witness to him. And I said, but what are you going to do about my billfold? I don't even know how I'm going to get home without my identification and my credit cards, and everything is gone. And the Lord said, well, just witness to that guy. So now I wasn't in the mood, and I wasn't creative, but he did open his eyes and look over at me, and I said, I'm a Baptist preacher. Do you have any questions about God? And he looked away right in the middle of the seat in front of him for about 45 seconds. And he looked back and said, actually, sir, I do. And he began asking me questions. We had a gospel conversation. I was able to share the plan of salvation with him. He was so needing to come to Christ. And by the time we landed in Dallas, he had asked the Lord Jesus to be his Savior. Now, I can't explain that. I didn't do a very good job with any of that. But, and to tell you how the story ended, the, I did give him my Bible, my preaching Bible, so then I didn't have my billfold or my Bible. But I found another Bible to preach from, and the uh, restaurant at the airport mailed me back my billfold. And I talked my way onto the plane without my ID. You, uh, I had to be very persuasive, but it worked. But it all worked out wonderfully. But the greatest thing was just being able to see that young man sincerely ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into his life. The Lord will give every one of us opportunities like that if we're sensitive 
And we just have to say, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me, and may I humbly do my part to win that soul to Thee. So don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Keep on speaking. And thirdly, he said, I am with you. So when you go into the Jewish quarter, I'm going to be there. When you're in that shop and you're working in the leather, I'm going to be right there with you. And when you're in the synagogue and when you're in the Latin quarter and when you go outside to the games and you witness to people and the crowds, I'm going to be right there with you. And the Lord says the same to us. Learn to practice the presence of the Lord all the time. When you wake up in the morning, you say, good morning, Lord. This is the day you have made. As you go into the day, he goes with you on your motorcycle or bicycle or car or bus, whether you go to school or to work or wherever it is, he's there with you. And all through the day with the stresses and strains, you can just look and say, Lord, help me with this, help me with that. Lord, I've got this difficult phone call. I've got this exam. I need your help. As you come home, he comes home with you. And all night long, he's there. When you go to bed, you can say, Lord, since you're going to stay up all night long, I'm going to go to sleep. And he'll be watching over you. You know, there's a very interesting verse in Psalm 139. It says, the Lord's thoughts towards me are more than all of the grains of sand and all of the oceans of the world. And when I wake up, he is still with me. Which implies that while we're sleeping, the Lord has so many thoughts about us that they can't be numbered. He is thinking about us all through the night as we're asleep. And when we wake up, he is still thinking about us. He is with you. That's what the Lord wanted Paul to know. Do not be afraid. Number two, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Number three, I am with you. And number four, no one is going to attack you or harm you. Now, that's the word that Paul really needed because he had been attacked and he had been harmed. And he would be again later on. But as long as he was in Corinth, God put a shield around him. Nobody could touch him. He could go anywhere in that city and preach without fear of being beaten. And he needed that assurance because he was still recovering. And so nobody heard him. He stayed a year and a half, and he had one legal challenge when they brought charges against him, and the governor immediately dropped the charges. And Paul was untouchable during this time period. The Lord knows how to protect us when we need protection. And the last thing he said was, I have many people in this city. In other words, there are many people in this great city of Corinth that are as lost as they can be, and if they were to die right now, they'd go to hell. But over the next year and a half, they're going to come to the light and to the life of Jesus Christ under your ministry because I am working in their hearts. I know who they are. That person over there, in the brothel, that person over there in the meat market, that family over there in the affluent part of town, this Jewish fellow there, they don't even realize how much I'm already working in their heart, and they are going to come to the Lord under your ministry, directly or indirectly. And isn't it wonderful to know that in this wonderful area, northern Illinois, and in these 
towns and villages and cities and at the university, right now there are people waking up in their houses, no thought of going to church, watching the news, reading the newspaper. But the Lord is working in their hearts. And a year from now, they'll be here in these pews. Two years from now, they'll be going to an evangelical church. They're going to find Christ as Savior because the Lord is working in them. He has many people in this city. And that's why we don't get discouraged in the work of the Lord. So these are the five things that the Lord said to Paul on this special visit. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you. No one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. And it says in verse 11, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the Word of God. Now let me end with this story. Years and years ago, I was a college student, and I asked a man, I just was at a Christian organization, and I was sitting there, and I don't know who it was, but he was an old fellow sitting nearby. And for some reason, I just say, do you have any stories? I'd like, a, I'd like to hear a story. So he told me this story, and I've been telling it off and on for the last half century. There was a Bible college in the South in which every student had to be prepared every single day at chapel to preach in case they were called on. The president wanted every student to be able to preach at a moment's notice. And so all of the students were prepared if on any particular day he was called upon, except for one who was so shy and introverted and insecure and frightened and anxious that he would just sink down in his seat and hope that he would never be called on. But one day, sure enough, the students filed in for chapel, and the president pointed to that young man and said, today you're going to preach our sermon. And the young man was horrified. And he got up and made his way down the aisle and walked up the steps and stood behind the pulpit and looked at everybody and nearly fainted, and he held on for dear life, and he had shortness of breath, and his mind was reeling, and it looked like he was going to collapse. And he finally said, how many of you know what I'm going to say today? Nobody raised their hand. He said, well, neither do I, and he sat down. Well, the next day, the president said, I'll give him another chance. He was nervous. So they filed in. He pointed right at the young man, and this time, the young man was even more nervous. He thought, oh, this is, what am I going to do? And he got up, and he couldn't breathe. He was having um, problems getting his, his words, his thoughts together. He was hyperventilating. He held on, and he finally just closed his eyes and looked out and said, how many of you know what I'm going to say today? This time, everybody raised their hand. He said, then if you know, I don't need to tell you. And he sat down. The third day came, and again, he was called up, and he was just as nervous as ever. 
And he stood there holding the pulpit and he looked out at that sea of faces. It just looked like a fog to him and he thought he was going to fall right over the pulpit. He said, how many of you know what I'm going to say today? This time, half of the audience raised their hands and the other half didn't. He said, then those of you who know, please tell those who don't know. And that's what a missionary is. That's what a Christian is. And that's what a church is. Those of us who know, telling those who don't. So this is no time to stop. Don't be afraid. I am with you. No one is going to harm you. No one is going to damage or destroy you. You keep on speaking, keep on preaching, for the Lord has many people to bring to himself right here in this area. Will you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, give all of us hearts that will follow you, minds that will be eager to hear your word, and mouths that will be willing whenever you nudge us to say a word for Jesus Christ and use our efforts, small as they may be, to do a great work for you. Lord, bless this church, and may the harvest fields be white, and bless our lives, and may our testimonies be clear and used of you. Oh, use us, Lord, just as thou wilt, and when and where. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.